Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is a public speaking course called Teach the Geeks to Speak. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Kelly Korick, and she's a woman of many talents. She's an astrophysicist, speaker, a project manager, and a science advisor. Her work involves building and operating instruments to study the sun. I look forward to learning more about her work her journey in public speaking, and especially her favorite speaking topics. Welcome to Teach the Geek Interviews, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you as well. So I, from the bit of research I did on you, I saw that you got your undergraduate degree in astronomy. What was the motivation for that degree? Um, the motivation for that degree was really an interest in um, the stars and um, all the amazing things that, that the universe has. Nature in general is my, is, was my interest, and um, I was interested in physics, and physics led to astronomy um, because it's just such a beautiful thing um, and amazing to think about the cosmos. Well, that's wonderful. You know, when I was in high school, Physics is probably my most difficult subject, so the idea of actually going into school or into college to, to study it was, would have been rather daunting. But the fact that it was your best subject, you probably made the best decision to go into it. But then you didn't start. You didn't stop there. You got a PhD in in space physics. So what was the motivation to go all the way to a PhD? Right. So, so the motivation for a PhD um, actually happened bit by bit. You know, had you asked me as a high school senior, I would never have said, oh, I'm going to get a PhD in space physics. Um, you know, looking back, it looks like a very straight path forward. Um, but when I was actually in, the, in it, it was kind of a step by step. What was the next step that I, that I wanted to do? I actually did start as a medical, uh, started out looking at, to go into med school and then transitioned into research into physics. Um, and then once I uh, was done with my undergraduate degree, I actually took a year off because um, I wasn't sure what part of physics or whether I wanted to maybe still pursue medicine or, or do something else. So I took a year off um, and really thought about um, what I wanted to do, what was interesting, took a job as a physicist. Um, and then quickly decided that I wanted to go back and study more because it, the most interesting projects went to those who had PhDs. You could control kind of your own destiny, pick your projects. Um, so that's what that's when I started looking at PhDs. And um, the reason I chose, I actually chose to do a master's first. And I want to thank my the uh, the department administrator who said, well, "We're just going to put you down for a PhD. I think that you actually really want that." I was like, "No, no, I just want a master's." She's like, "Let's just put you down." Um, so it was the the egging on by uh, dear Margaret Reed, who uh, our administrator, who just put me down for one, and you know, then I I kept working towards that goal. Oh wow, that's interesting. So you initially wanted to do a P uh, a master's, but someone else must have saw something in you that said, "No, PhD is where you need to be," and you said very well. So luckily, it, it worked out, right? Yes. Yeah, it definitely worked out. And so those little, those uh, little pieces of encouragement, sometimes you really just have to take along the way um, and take as a sign that you need to, you need to keep going. Wonderful. 
from what I understand, at least initially when people start PhDs, their goal is to eventually get a tenure track position as a, at a, as a professor at a university. Was that your goal or did you always know that you were going to leave academia at some point? Um, I had I had some inkling to be a, a college professor, um, but I really enjoy research and I really enjoy the building of instrumentation. Um, and that part is uh, what I'm really passionate about. And I also like informal learning. So I have the best of both worlds. I have the ability to teach folks and mentor folks and coach folks along, um, but also do the instrumentation part, also do the missions. Um, so for me, it's, it's the best. I don't have to sit in faculty meetings, but I also, but I do get to, to mentor students. Wonderful. So then you finish your PhD and did you do a postdoc afterwards or did you just go on to whatever you're going to do afterwards? I did do a postdoc. So I did a postdoc in um, at the Center for Astrophysics um, here in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and um, was studying uh, other uh, X-ray or galactic jets um, was was the topic. And actually, I was very um, I wasn't sure what I was going to do because jobs were very hard to come by at that point in time. Um, you know, trying to apply for professorships normally means moving um, to many different places. Um, so I was not sure what I was going to do. Um, and so I uh, was looking around and trying to figure, trying to figure that out. Yeah. Um, um, I remember when I was in school, the people that ended up getting PhDs and wanting to become professors, the ones that did, they had to move to places that I frankly wouldn't want to live. <laughs> so good, good for them for you know achieving their dream or their you know, their goal of becoming a professor. But man, I mean, you got you're right. You got to go kind of go where the jobs are. So then, so you get your PhD, you do your postdoc. How long did you do a postdoc for? Um, so it was about a year and a half that I had a postdoc for. Um, and I was looking for jobs the, the entire time, kind of looking for what's next, um, and actually kind of hit a wall and said, you know, not really, not really interested in kind of what was available, um, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, and luckily I have great mentors. Um, and one of the mentors said, Hey, why don't you just give a talk about your work? Come up here. We'll talk, we'll talk about what you're, you know, what you need to do next. And uh, that is, you know, that is really what helped me take the next steps. Another thing that I, I even from being, you know, doing this is this YouTube channel and speaking to people that get PhDs, they realize sometimes during the PhD that perhaps after they're done, they may want to work in something outside of their PhD. Was that ever something you considered or did you know that any job that you took on had to have some sort of physics component to it? Um, I entertained a, a lot of different things. I did want a technical um, component to it because I had spent so much time and it is so interesting in me to solve puzzles. Um, but you can solve puzzles in a lot of ways, right? Um, you can uh, do very interesting work in finance. You could do very interesting work in medicine. You could do very interesting work in teaching, um, you know, high school. So there's there were lots of different paths that I considered, um, but there was always a little bit of a technical component uh, to those. Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, you spend all this time getting a, a PhD, which is no easy feat, and then another year and a half being broke as a postdoc. I know they don't make any good money. So then you really want to finally get something where you use whatever you learn and, and you know, and you're happy doing it. So what type of work did you end up doing? 
Um, so after giving that talk, uh, the boss that I currently actually have came up to me and asked me if I would like a job um, operating a satellite um, and working on, um, on a space mission for an X-ray satellite called Hanode, um, Hanode X-ray Telescope, uh, which is a joint mission between NASA and JAXA. Um, and so I was operating that telescope as well as the Trace Telescope, which is another NASA telescope, um, and doing science. And so from there, I took on that job and it grew for the last 14 years um, into, into what I am now. Oh, wow. So is there anything that in that 14 years that you haven't done at the at that job that you would that you really would like to do? Um I really have done um a lot. I mean in terms of the mentoring of students, in terms of um building instruments and seeing instruments fly in space, all of that has been done. Um I I would like to fly a few more instruments. There are a couple more instruments I have in mind that would be interesting. Um, but really it's it's a really fulfilling job that that I've fulfilled a lot of my career goals in. Okay. With the job that you currently have, do you manage people? I do manage people. Yes, I, I have uh, several students that I manage or postdocs that I man uh, manage. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Is that something that you also aspire to or something you kind of just uh, what's the word I'm looking for, fell into? No, I actually love people. So I am a people person. I'm a very extroverted person. Um, and I have sought out leadership training um, ever since college, uh, high school and college. And um, for me, leading people, um, and especially women um, in STEM, is super important. Um, and part of that is... Uh, you know, encouraging them and kind of giving them the support that sometimes I wish I had had at some point in time. Um, and I am a part of the um, If Then, uh, AAAS If Then um, Ambassador. And we're, it's a mission to help girls see themselves in STEM and encourage them uh, to have careers in STEM. So those are all parts of that leadership and uh, managing people that I really enjoy. Hmm. Why do you think women or girls don't see themselves in STEM currently? Um, currently, I think because most of the images that you see of a scientist, um, when, when kids were asked to draw a scientist, you would get the picture of an Albert Einstein, um, a man in, uh, with big, big hair and a lab coat. And so you don't see, if you don't see yourself as that, you, it's hard for you to think that you can be that. Um, you can be that. It's just simply harder to, to have that as a, as a reference point. Um, so that's another part of this initiative, the If Then initiative, is to really change the imagery in the media of women uh, in science. And so making sure that women and minorities are represented in science and, and that it is a viable career path. So when you were deciding to go into you know, astronomy and then eventually get your PhD, is it something that you saw, did you see a woman that was doing it to make you think that you could do it or did you just do it because you wanted to do it? Um, I did it because I'm stubborn. <laughs> um, I did it because um, there were several men who told me I couldn't um, in not so, sometimes that bluntly, they said that I could not do it. And so I was going to prove them wrong. Um, so that was the, those were the, the times that kind of I decided I was going to do that. But what kept me going was when I had the support of other female scientists or when I could see those role models. And I really didn't get those until grad school. 
Um, there were some, there were some women professors in undergrad, but really I didn't have that stronger circle till grad school and beyond. Um, so it's really important to get that early because I could have quit earlier because I didn't know that that, if I wasn't so stubborn. Okay. Well, that's okay. Excellent. So when did the idea, well, I guess, you know, I, I talk a lot about public speaking on, on this YouTube channel. So when did you see the importance of public speaking in your career? That came in very early. Um, I am passionate about all types of science. I, although I study um, the sun and focus on astronomy and, and really building telescopes there, I also love nature. I love botany. I love um, natural history. Um, I like you know biology. All of all of those different things. So I really want. I love things like Nova, like watching Nova or watching um, these PBS specials, things like that. Um, so I wanted to know how to do that, how to share my science, how to get that out there. Um, in addition to the fact that it's fun publicly funded, all the science that I, I do is paid for by the taxpayers. So it has to be communicated back that you're getting value for this. Um, so understanding that very early that um, this is the way to have folks understand and to really have that funding flow so that these projects can, um, the projects can go forward was very, I, was something I learned very early in my career. You know, you're, you're smart in that, in that sense. There's so many people that study, you know, sciences and they work as professors or, you know, they get their PhDs and they work in, in some sort of capacity and they just think, well, I'm just going to do my work and that's what I'm being paid for. But, your funding sources are, I mean, that's the, that's pretty much the lifeblood of your work. If you don't get the funding, then you actually aren't going to be doing anything. So you really do need to be able to communicate the importance of what you're working on, either by writing or verbally to convince people that this is work that needs to be done. So kudos to you for seeing that early on. Thanks. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, it's on top of the fact that this is exciting to me and that it's, you know, you, you were part of this natural world. So trying to figure out how we fit into the oceans and how we fit into, you know, the sky and space is, is important as well. So there's a curiosity and there's an, you know, a inspirational part of it. And then there's the practical in terms of funding. Yeah, for sure. Is public speaking something you've always been good at? And if not, what did you do to get better at it? Um, so I have to say I, I'm naturally outgoing. So I do remember probably my first public speaking was at kindergarten graduation. So I have not never ever been shy. Um, but I did have to get better at it. Um, because there were times where I would ramble on and on. Um, so I took a very specific um, course to keep learning um, more and more about it. We, I started um, in grad school with a coach, um, uh, actually, who's an acting coach, um, who started uh, uh, teaching me how to, and actually taught a group of us, how to public speak um, from an acting point of view, from your energy, um, from where, you know, your audience, how you reach your audience. And then from there, just kept taking opportunities. Um, about once a year, I make sure that I have one good uh, learning opportunity, a coach, either a private coach or, or a group coach or something uh, to that effect um, to help me with, uh, with public speaking. Okay. Well, and also, when it comes to public speaking, do you have any preferred topics that you like to speak on? And if so, what are they? 
Um, my preferred topic is space weather. So the sun is trying to kill us. And I like to talk about um, how we're learning how the sun interacts with our technology and um, how we can better prepare ourselves for when the sun throws these tantrums that she's trying to kill us with. Oh, wow. I thought the sun was nice. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's very nice on a, on a beach and she gives us, you know, the food and, and it's, it's warmth and all these other things. Um, but because of that, uh, it's a magnetically active plasma, which means it's a hot gas that uh, blows off particles that can interfere with our electric currents on earth. It could black out power. It could black out power grids. It could harm astronauts. It can um, interfere with GPS satellites. So there's a lot of issues there that we need to mitigate because we're so technologically advanced. Um, and so that's, that's what I study. I study when, when the sun is going to, to have these outbursts. So is it difficult convincing just the average person of the, is the cons of the sun? Because we always think about all the great things that the sun provides for us. And if so, how do you persuade people that the, the, what you talk about space weather is something to really be concerned with? Right. And actually, my goal is that it's not a con, that in the end, through all these studies, um, you only get the benefits of the sun. So you get the benefits of the warmth and the beaches and the, and the oh, beautiful aurora um, that you can see at the northern latitudes. Um, and so what I'm really not, I'm not trying to, to convince them that the sun is bad, but I'm trying to help uh, start a conversation about how we interact with our natural world, how um, the fact that this is a natural phenomenon, but we have technology and we have needs or things that we want to do and how that interplay actually works. Um, and that's another piece of advice I would give in terms of great public speaking is it becomes a conversation or it becomes like a dance of, oh, I said this, how do you react to that? What do you want? Do you want to know more about it? Um, and how do we, how do we communicate about it? Do you have any opinions though on being able to con or convince others about perhaps the more controversial scientific topics? Um, I think that everyone uh, really needs to have the facts and are able to um, to discuss them in a meaningful way. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing that things like climate change are, are relatively controversial. Um, so it's addressing the facts that the scientists see and then how they apply to everyday life um, and to have those conversations. And that's, um, that's really where those ongoing conversations are so important is that, you know, it, it snowed here early, you know, early, uh, early in Boston, it snowed last week. Um, and so people are like, oh, there's no global warming. Well, okay, let's, you know, uh, let's talk about that with an expert in terms of, in terms of what does that mean? Um, and so that's, you know, those are the conversations that need to be had. I'm not an expert on that, so I'm not the one to have the conversation, but you know, there are experts in that who should, who should be talking with, with the public. Oh, wow. It's snowed already, man. I feel, I feel bad for you. I'm in Southern California and it's kind of chilly here, but there's no snow. So I certainly can't complain. So when it comes to public, back to public speaking, do you ever, do you, or do you have a process for putting your presentations together? And if so, what is it? Yes, I do. Um, so I, uh, there's, there's things I want to do in a presentation, things I want to be. And so the doing is first, um, I want to know the parameters. I want to know uh, who's the audience. 
um, what format it's going to be virtual um, is mainly right now. Um, length, um, who the audience is, is it the general public, is it um, school children, you know, K through 12, what, what's, the, what's that? Um, and then I want to organize, I want to organize the story in terms of um, are these, how is it most relevant to that audience? Is it most relevant that um, we, that they are worried about um, size scales? Is it most interesting to teach them about um, the sun as a star? Is it more interesting to teach them um, about how the math is done or how an engineering project is working, you know, based on the audience trying to, to organize the story in, um, in some way. And then really practice. Um, I don't practice as much as I used to um, because I've gotten very comfortable with certain topics. Um, but for newer topics, I do tend to practice either to my, to my cat um, <laughs> or to a, a group of peers, um, or at least try to, um, try to practice the first, uh, first slide and the last slide to kind of get the transitions down because for me then that becomes a very natural, uh, natural way to speak. Um, and in terms of being, um, being really authentic, I am very conversational in my um, presentations. I have a lot of energy. Um, so that's, that's just who I am and that's what I want to be uh, during those, those um, uh, presentations and you know for everyone they have to kind of find that style for themselves yeah and I guess when you practice in front of your cat if, if the, the cat walks away you know that maybe I need to do a bit more practicing <laughs> I wasn't able to maintain the cat's attention <laughs> exactly exactly oh do you ever get nervous before giving a presentation and if so how do you deal with your nerves um, so I do get nervous from time to time, not as often, nearly as often as I do. I had at one point in time been giving um, talks just about every other week. So I would give 20 to 30 a year. So I've gotten very used to it. Um, but there are times when I get nervous and how I handle that is um, breathing. Um, there is a box breath that you can do to kind of calm yourself down. You inhale to account of four, hold your breath for four, exhale for four. Um, and then keep it, keep your breath out for four. And you can do this a couple of times and it calms you down, calms you down to kind of refocus on counting and, and uh, calming down. Um, there's also power poses. So um, putting your arms out like Wonder Woman or on your, on your, uh, on your hips like Superman, trying to, um, trying to tell your body that this is a positive thing are ways to calm you down. So if you can run into a bathroom for a while before you, before you give a talk. Um, and then again, the practicing really um, does help. And just thinking that the audience is friendly, right? The audience doesn't wants to hear what you had to say. That's why they're here. Um, so those three things kind of calm me down if, if I need to be. With the power poses, perhaps you want to do the one where you put your hands on your hips as opposed to putting them up. Because if you're nervous, you might have a whole bunch of pit stains. <laughs> you don't want people to see them. <laughs> Yes, yeah, that's why I normally suggest like, you know, a restroom break just beforehand. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, you've offered some some really great tips on, on becoming better as a public speaker. You know, have perhaps making it more conversational, box breaths to, to calm your nerves and also the power poses and practicing, of course. Are there any other tips that you'd like to offer in becoming more effective in public speaking? Um, I would say that, you know, practice and do it, do it often. Um, be curious about your audience and volunteer. Um, 
uh, you know, there are great organizations out there that you can volunteer with to share your science um, or your technology with. Um, so, you know, find those. And if you're in a, you know, technical academic field, folks who organize seminars are always looking for folks to, to give talks. So um, go ahead and volunteer and say, hey, I'm available, you know, if you, if you need a talk on this topic um, and go ahead and develop that topic and, you know, see, see just practice and, and see, see what happens. Wonderful. Well, this has been really interesting talking to you, Kelly. Is there anything else that you'd like to add about things that you're working on? Um, no, I think that it's it's a really exciting time to uh, to study the sun. Um, she's getting it's uh, the sun is going into a more active phase, um, and so there's lots of really interesting science coming out of so many missions. And so uh, I hope that you got that folks uh, can go ahead and and get all that great information coming out. Wonderful. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, Kelly, how can they do so? Um, you can check out my website at www.kellycorick.com, and there is an email there, uh, kellycorickifthen at gmail.com, um, in order to contact me. Wonderful. Well, everyone, that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is Teach the Geek to Speak. It's a public speaking course. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that is teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks. Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms or on all of them also if you prefer to watch the episodes head on over to the youtube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com until next time